Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, a podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics and talks about issues related to tax news. I'm your host, Omid Farouzi, Professor of Practice and Director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Temple Law School. Hi, everyone. I know it's been a while since there was an episode of this podcast, but as you can imagine, I've been preparing for the first classes that I will be teaching at Temple, where I now am running their low-income taxpayer clinic, and will be teaching a seminar class once a week that is associated with the clinic. I've also been getting up to speed on all the systems and all of the client cases that we have at the clinic, among other things. I should say it's been a wonderful first several weeks at Temple Law. By the time that you're listening to this, I would have taught at least one class, and it's been a pleasure to just get to know the students already via email and to work with such amazing colleagues. I'm so lucky to be there, and I look forward to a really fantastic semester. So today, I wanted to talk to you all about the Inflation Reduction Act. You may have heard of the Inflation Reduction Act, otherwise known as the IRA, because it is President Joe Biden's signature domestic policy legislation. This legislative achievement that the president accomplished is a major climate, health care, and tax law that, as far as we are concerned in the low-income taxpayer clinic community, is very important for tax administration, efficient tax procedure and practice, and justice for low-income taxpayers. This is why it's important. Number one, it will produce $80 billion of additional funding for the IRS. And though you may have heard from some right-wing media outlets that this would lead to armed agents at people's doors, that is not true. What this would mean and what it has meant so far is hiring additional people, hiring folks to replace people who are retiring, increasing customer service, and making it easier to access IRS services. And it has already had an impact, and we're going to talk about that soon. And in terms of a broader goal here, the aim here is to make sure that the IRS goes after wealthy tax cheats and not low-income taxpayers who have been audited at higher rates than rich people because, partially because, of the fact that the funding at the IRS has been lackluster. Number two, a main goal of this law, as far as we're concerned, again, in the tax community, is to allow for certain important tax credits for individuals and families to take advantage of that promote important social goals, including ensuring that people can have access to various energy efficiency-related credits that allow them to improve their homes and to undertake purchases for items that are considered environmentally friendly, and that is part of an effort to try and combat climate change, and this is what makes this law the most significant climate change law in the history of the United States. Uh, 
and it also includes things like expanding the Affordable Care Act subsidies. So there was an expansion of financial assistance for people who are on the marketplace in the health insurance exchange for premium assistance for folks who get health care from the Obamacare exchanges. That expansion happened in the American Rescue Plan in 2021, and this law, the IRA, extended it until 2025. So that, of course, helps to make health care more affordable for people and keep premiums lower than they otherwise would be. And that, of course, also helps reduce income inequality in turn and provide more financial stability for individuals and households. And so this is really a law that affects the tax community greatly because we will be dealing with this for some time now because the funding increase that has come from it for the IRS is something that of course impacts our ability to represent taxpayers. The credits and deductions under the law are ones that people will ask questions about. And then there are all kinds of other ancillary things here where they are items that that affect taxpayers and that are not some of the big-time core elements of the law, but are still important. So, for example, there's money for a direct file program here to allow for direct public option free filing through the IRS. And that's something that we are going to see a pilot program for that's coming forward next year. And there was already a report released on that. Uh, just a couple of months ago. So we're going to talk about all of that and we'll take it step by step here. So number one, the most important item here that tax practitioners worry about and that we talk about and, and affect us is the $80 billion in additional funding that the IRS received as part of the IRA. So the goal of this additional funding is to increase enforcement at the IRS and to ensure that such increased enforcement does not target people who make under $400,000 a year. That limit is actually something that has come out of debates over the last 10 years. So back in 2012, 2013, they were negotiating the fiscal cliff deal. Then Vice President Joe Biden was negotiating it with Mitch McConnell uh, on behalf of the Obama administration. And they were talking about how the Bush tax cuts were going to expire. And they uh, said that they decided, they negotiated an agreement that became law, that people who made over $400,000 a year uh, as individuals would, in fact, have their tax rates go back up to Clinton-era levels of 39.6% for the top rate, and those who made below that level would see their tax rates remain at the lower rates that were enacted under George W. Bush in the Bush tax cuts. And ever since then, $400,000 has been the level that Democratic politicians, at least, consider to be the level at which they would say, well, you know, above that level, we definitely want to look at raising taxes, but below that level, level we're not looking at raising taxes. And that's kind of been the overall benchmark. It used to be 250000 I remember, for uh, individuals in the uh, uh, 2008 campaign, for example. Barack Obama uh, used to talk about that. Uh, but then it became 400000 as kind of that magic number. Now, and since then, I should say, you know, as you may know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act 
lowered the top rate for the, the people who make over 400k from 39.6 down to 37. Uh, it was at 36 before 2013, I believe, but now it's at 37. But all this is to say that level of 30. Uh, excuse me, of $400,000, that's the level at which they say, well, our enforcement priorities are focused on people who make more than that amount and uh, not people who make below that amount. And the reason why they say this, of course, is because the audits of low-income people have been higher, at a higher rate, that is, than the audits of uh, of uh high-income folks. And the fact of the matter is is that uh, if you look at data that has been uh, developed by people who have studied this um, uh, at the uh, track at Syracuse University, Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, they have done really good reporting on this. And this is something you'll find in other publications as well that found that the IRS audited poor, the poorest families at five times the rate of everybody else. And this isn't to say that uh, it's because the uh, folks who were uh, uh, low income were somehow uh, evading taxes more or uh, engaging in, in more uh, avoidance than high income people. That is not the case at all. Uh, it's a truly disproportionate uh, way of doing things. And the reason why higher income people were not being audited as much is because the IRS did not have enough revenue agents and did not have enough staff, did not have enough resources because those folks end up hiring big time lawyers and firms who can help them navigate all of this. Of course, that's where low income taxpayer clinics come in for low income taxpayers, but often low income taxpayers do not have access to, do they do not end up obtaining for whatever reason legal representation and uh, they or they may get a notice they're not sure what to do with it and these correspondence audits as they're called uh, lead to IRS uh, uh, auditing low-income taxpayers at higher rates and they end up saying things like oh well it's easier for us to do it because we just send them these paper audits and, th and then it gets done and it really is something that uh, uh, it, it is just fundamentally uh, flawed and uh, something that the additional IRS funding aims to ad address and remedy. And there are some signs that potentially already things are moving in the right direction. So according to Natasha Saren, uh, who is a professor at Yale Law, I actually saw her uh, uh, interview Danny Werfel, the commissioner of the IRS at the ABA tax conference in February. She's a Washington Post contributing columnist who uh, is an associate professor of law at Yale Law and with a secondary appointment at Yale School of Management in the Finance Department. And she had been a deputy assistant secretary for economic policy and later counselor to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She wrote in the Washington Post about the effects of the funding so far. And she talked about how uh, already uh, the agency, she says, quote, the agency resolved 175 tax delinquency cases against millionaires in recent months, bringing in nearly $40 million. And this is really important because the fact is, is that we've had this enormous tax gap in the United States where you have people who uh, are, uh, they owe taxes under the law 
and yet they have not been paying them. Uh, and in some cases, it be, can be because of misclassification of workers as independent contractors, could be because of underreporting, uh, non-filing, and there are all kinds of uh, ways to go after this, but the IRS has not been able to do it as much because of the lack of funding. And of course, the, uh, the pandemic happened and their focus shifted to pandemic relief programs. But this law aims to address that tax gap. And it's really important because that way we can, of course, raise more revenue. And that will enable the federal government to be able to provide ostensibly better services for people. And uh, the... Uh, the, the, the fact is, is that this is done without actually raising any individual rates. The reason why the Inflation Reduction Act did not raise rates on anyone is because there was not enough support for that in Congress uh, to raise rates on everyone, even though that was part of the original vision for the Build Back Better Act, which is where the IRA came out of, which is to, was to at least raise the top rate and potentially even raise the corporate tax rate. But neither of those things happened. Uh, there was a new global minimum tax that was put in into the IRA. But uh, the, the, uh, the, the raising of money here, the revenue raisers in the IRA, are done in, in large part through this increased funding alone to help to enforce existing tax laws to be able to raise revenue, to go after these wealthier tax cheats, and to try and uh, provide some more justice there and, and fairness really in the system. So that's one area that is a part of the focus of the IRA. And a second part of this $80 billion in additional funding is that it's aimed to improve service for taxpayers and to increase customer service and make it easier to be able to navigate the IRS. As I have talked about on previous podcasts here, I personally can attest that this has already had an impact. Generally speaking, I can tell you that in 2021 and 2022, it was very, 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 very difficult to get in touch with the IRS. And we've seen already reports that have said that only about 11 to 15% of phone calls were being answered. And now, you know, nationally, it's kind of the opposite picture where you have 80 to 90% of calls being answered by agents and it's because they hired at least 5,000 more people and it's much easier to get on the phone with people and you're able to get callbacks quickly you're on hold for shorter periods of time the statistics even show that hold times have gone down that more people are are getting their calls answered it appears that people got their refunds much quicker than they did in the last couple of years at least and so all of this of course is positive for taxpayers that is another key goal of this additional IRS funding, of course. You need to have a stronger IRS to be able to have the, the services that are so important. Otherwise, people would get stuck in administrative barriers and all kinds of hold times and wait times that can be so frustrating for them. And that often leads some people to feel like there's no hope for them when really, if you have a stronger, more well-financed agency, that's better for everybody. And so that's something that we've already seen the effects of. And I can even provide a personal anecdote here, which is that I had a client who 
we got on the phone with a practitioner priority service agent and within one week of addressing an issue about a refund that they didn't get but they should have gotten uh, that per- that uh, person got the refund the recovery rebate credit this was for $1400 a one week turnaround from a phone call which really that, so this happened in early 2023 would have been unheard of just a few months before that so it's really encouraging to see those results because that's something that is just a main source of frustration for a lot of taxpayers and a lot of tax practitioners that the IRS wouldn't be as uh, on top of things in terms of customer service. But uh, we've seen already that the money has had an impact and the IRS itself addressed this on the actual one-year anniversary of the IRA, which uh, is that Danny Werfel said, uh, the commissioner of the IRS again, that according to the New York Times, uh, the average wait times fell to three minutes from 28 minutes. The agency cleared a backlog of unprocessed tax forms that topped 20 million in 2022. And you're seeing that uh, there has been more of a digitization of tax forms. They're bringing more forms online. They're making it easier for people to uh, do things online at the IRS. Uh, you know, I've seen already that you have this irs.gov slash reply or irs.gov slash exam reply that uh, has allowed me to more easily just upload documents online and send them into the IRS instead of having to fax them or send them in the mail, which uh, can be fraught with uh, slow times or with other difficulties. So certainly there has been a notable improvement there. And uh, we hope that that will continue to be the case and that it will get even better. So the important thing, too, to know about this, one of the important things is that, unfortunately, this increased funding is at risk because the congressional Republicans in the House of Representatives particularly, they want to claw this funding back. And there already has been some limited success with that. So in the debt ceiling deal that President Biden signed in June, the debt ceiling agreement that he reached with Speaker McCarthy, there was an agreement to claw back $20 billion of the $80 billion in additional funding. According to estimates made by the IRS and others, that would not have a significant impact, but further funding cuts to the IRS would in fact have a large impact. And this is going to be something that's going to be a very difficult political battle for people who support additional IRS funding. That's because the uh, folks who support the funding cuts have done a, a, a truly effective job at spreading misinformation, unfortunately, about what these cuts, or excuse me, about what this increase in funding really means. They've gone out there and said that Biden's hiring 87,000 armed agents that are going to be knocking on your doors and doing all these things, even though, you know, of course, Commissioner Werfel said unannounced home visits actually would no longer even be a thing. So far from it that that's actually happening, by the way. Uh, He at least announced that uh, they would be all but uh, uh, eliminated. uh, so there, you know, th- this is all. There's all kinds of stuff out there, um, and uh, th- th- people understandably react to it uh, in strong ways because there is a lot of 
fear and dislike of the IRS, and sometimes for good reason, to be honest, because they have been harsh, as we've noted, on low-income taxpayers, and there has been frustrating service, and, and it's, it's sometimes it's not just because of lack of funding. Um, there are some other issues there that we always talk about uh, in our low-income taxpayer clinic community. But anything that we are concerned about here in terms of service and justice and fairness would be jeopardized by reduced IRS funding because we saw that things got worse for low-income taxpayers when funding went down from 2011 to 2022. In that period when you had a decline in funding, especially after the Republicans took over the House of Representatives in 2011 after the 2010 midterms, that ended up being very hard for low-income taxpayers because they were navigating an IRS that was much more difficult to deal with. So it's important that people be aware of the upcoming spending fights that are going to be happening because you're going to have a government funding deadline coming up next month in September. You're going to have appropriations debates happening. And all of this is going to be prime time for these debates about IRS funding. So it's really important for people to pay attention to that, to understand that this is something that is important uh, because it's at the core of how we uh, administer tax justice and have an efficient and fair tax system and ensure that we raise revenue to fund services and ensure that people also get the credits and benefits that they deserve because you have a tax system where a lot of the war on poverty is within it and so if you have a, a poorly funded IRS you're going to have people having a harder time navigating the systems when there are any issues that arise about EITC or child tax credit and they're being audited and 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 uh, they don't they can't read get through to people so for all the all the core values and principles that we care about uh, it's important to make sure that uh, we uh, are uh, paying attention to this upcoming debate about IRS funding next I want to talk about the other important provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act that concern taxpayers and tax practitioners. So as I mentioned, there are a bunch of expanded and extended and renewed tax credits in the law that assist folks with uh, energy efficiency purchases and purchases and uh, uh, acquisitions of items that are important for people who want to make energy efficiency improvements to their homes and, to the, and in their lives. These, this uh, includes uh, stuff like the electric vehicle tax credit, which uh, people may have heard of. Um, and that is a $7,500 credit for people who plan to buy a new qualified plug-in EV or fuel cell electric vehicle. The Inflation Reduction Act made it more accessible for folks. There are certain income limits on it, uh, 300K for married couples, 225K for head of household, 150K for all other filers, non-refundable credit, uh, and uh, it uh, applies to vehicles that have a battery capacity of at least seven kilowatt hours um, and are made by qualified manufacturers and meet certain critical mineral and battery component requirements that have been the subject of some political debate because there's an argument as to whether or not 
how much of these have come from North America, how much of these uh, batteries and minerals come from other countries and continents, that is. And that has caused some debate because it's not a lot of these parts historically have been made in the United States, but we also, in this law, there was an effort to try and increase U.S. manufacturing and, jo- and create jobs in the United States. So there's also a requirement that these vehicles undergo final assembly in North America. But if you want to know more about this as a consumer or as a tax practitioner, you can go to the IRS website and look up the electric vehicle tax credit details. You can also go to fueleconomy.gov. There is some evidence that this is already working as well in terms of the goal that it is meant to achieve. So Tesla sales have gone up uh, and uh, it's believed to be that this electric vehicle tax credit expansion, uh, that this uh, credit has helped Tesla uh, to see what the New York Times reported to be a better than expected, quote, better than expected 10% a sale rise in the second quarter of the year uh, because of some of these tax credits. And uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law, relatedly, creates a national network of electric vehicle charging stations. And uh, all of this is, of course, meant to try and ensure that uh, there are efforts to try and reduce climate change, to go after global greenhouse gas emissions, to uh, see to it that uh, there is an effort to make sure that People can have incentives to uh, buy more environmentally friendly and energy efficient products and, and, and make purchases that are aimed towards that goal of reducing climate change and tackling climate change. And so the fact that there's already evidence that this is working in its real life effect is something that's interesting. And in fact, there are certain studies from Goldman Sachs, among others, that show that, that these tax credits are really going to be taken advantage of and that the purchases are already being made by people to try and take advantage of them such that they're going to end up having more of an effect on uh, in terms of the budget deficit and and spending of the federal government than it was anticipated, which is arguably good news for the environment because if more people are spending these tax credits, it means that it's actually going to be um, uh, more impactful for the environment. Uh, so that's something that we saw just a few weeks ago uh, that uh, they said that um, the effect of this uh, would be more significant, that there'll be more investment. And you've seen this already. There's already been more investment in, in renewable energy. And on the on the other side, you know, on the on the company employer side, there has been uh, there have been certain incentives for them from the IRA, from the CHIPS Act, from the bipartisan infrastructure law to try and uh, ensure that uh, there is a uh, uh, investment in these kinds of uh, industries to create jobs. You've seen factories open up, uh, more manufacturing, uh, and uh, that's something that uh, is going to uh, potentially have a positive climate uh, impact. uh, And... Uh, the goal of this law, of course, is part of that to try and make sure that there is more, you know, wind, solar, uh, power, all, all kinds of other alternative energies. And kind of to go back to that, there are other efforts in this law uh, through tax credits uh, that are uh, home energy credits, energy efficient improvement credits that now can cover up to 30 percent of 
purchases in terms of uh, biomass stoves and uh, boilers and um, certain uh, energy efficient improvements to your home, uh, certain uh, uh, solar water heaters and other kinds of things, exterior doors, windows, um, uh, central air conditioners, and uh, also uh, certain uh, uh, certain purchases here even have uh, no annual maximums or lifetime limits depending on uh, the uh, certain item that you purchase. Again, all these things are on the IRS website, but it's important to know, even just generally, that these energy efficiency credits are out there and available to people and what the idea behind them is. And that's really where uh, all, that that's really where the focus on climate change is in this law is through these credits for people to take advantage of on their tax returns so that they feel that they have an incentive and a reason to go out and do these things uh and this you know would cover things like there are things covered like solar panels and uh, electric stoves and things like that where if you make these purchases like this you can get certain more expanded and extended tax credits for them uh to uh uh lower your own bills but also ensure that uh, the it's good for the environment and to help combat climate change and then another part of this law that I wanted to uh, talk about is the fact that you have extended subsidies for people uh, who purchase insurance on the Affordable Care Act exchanges so this is another thing that I uh, wanted to talk about because it's such an important issue that we have seen over the years affect a lot of low-income taxpayer clinics. Excuse me. Um, so uh, the uh, fact is that uh, uh, in uh, 2014 through 2021, we saw a lot of people who they because they, for example, took out money early from their retirement account or for whatever other reason, their income sort of arbitrarily or uh, uh, not in a, a way that uh, really reflected the true nature of their annual earnings uh, went above 400% of the federal poverty limit. Um, and what ended up happening is, is that then they had to pay back all of the Affordable Care Act subsidies that they had received. And this uh, really was a surprise tax bill for a lot of people because if you are somebody who is low income and you had ACA subsidies through uh, the exchanges, you got insurance, and then you had some kind of emergency, let's say even it was a medical emergency, and you took out money from your retirement account early, uh, that, you know, you may not actually have access to that money all the time and of course you get a tax uh, bill with that but you just needed it you know right there and then for that purchase or for that bill uh, you, you know you would end up then having to pay a whole bunch of money uh, to the IRS uh, even though it doesn't actually reflect your true income and situation and you've you know you of course you took it out anyway because you were in a situation of hardship so it just was very unfair for a lot of people and this that we called this the ACA 400% cliff um, and uh, the the reason why this 400% number is important is because the Affordable Care Act uh, structures the the assistance that it provides to individuals 
uh, it, through the marketplace for financial assistance for premiums. These so-called premium tax credits only are for people who have income between 100 to 400 percent of the federal poverty line. And even if you made one dollar more than 400 percent of the federal poverty line, you had to pay all of your premium tax credit back. So the way it works is you get health insurance on the exchanges. You go to healthcare.gov or if you have a state-run exchange, you go to your state website and uh, your state exchange website, and then you would you know get it in the open enrollment season, let's say in uh, December of the year before, and uh, you would project what your income is, and then they would you would get health insurance um, through the exchange, uh, and you'd your premiums would be lowered by whatever amount of premium financial assistance the system basically determined that you were eligible for, and then when it came time to file your tax return. Over a year later, uh, for that year, you would reconcile the amount of financial assistance, and this is still the case, you reconcile the amount of financial assistance that you got through these so-called advanced premium tax credits um, versus the amount that you should have gotten, so to speak, based on your final true income for the year. And so sometimes people get less a subsidy than they should have received. Um, and so then they get a large refund from the IRS because their income ended up being way lower than what they had projected. Or uh, they often have basically the exact same amount of income. Uh, uh, or excuse me, this, the yes, exactly the same exact amount of income that they projected. So they have the same exact amount of subsidies. Um and so there was no change on the return. They, you know, they got all the subsidy they were supposed to get. Uh, but sometimes because there was a change in the family during the year that caused the household size to change or there was some other uh, disruption, something that may have changed the composition of the household in terms of what it means as a tax household to be within 100 to 400% of FBL, they end up owing back uh, some ACA subsidies on the tax return itself. And the the in order to change the law to make it fairer and to make it more generous for people the american rescue plan made it so that there was no 400 percent cliff anymore for uh 2021 and it also retroactively did that for 2020 so people didn't have to pay back uh the subsidies in 2020 but uh, the American Rescue Plan for 2021 and 2022 made it so that health insurance premiums under the marketplace would not be more than 8.5% of uh, a person's income. And this even includes people who make above 400% of federal poverty limit. These tax credits uh, were extended through 2025 uh, by the Inflation Reduction Act. So they're in place for another two years. Um, and that's something that uh, obviously helps people a lot because it means that they will owe less premium than they otherwise would. And the law also uh, makes it a lot more generous in that you have people who um, now you know are paying far less in premiums under the ACA than they were before because for everybody it's capped at 8.5% of monthly income. Uh, but for people who make below 400% of FPL, it goes down lower and lower. So if you, uh, you know, are making you know, less income than that, your the uh, percentage of the cap of monthly household income towards your premium um, is, is even less. Um, so uh, 
it's the highest it could be is 8.5 but you know for people who make uh you know at least 150 but less than 200 it's two percent of your monthly income can go towards your uh premiums um for people who make at least 200 but less than 250 it's four percent of your income so it goes up like that but it can never be more than 8.5 percent and so this helps avoid the ACA cliff because you don't you no longer have a situation where like suddenly you make above a certain amount of income and then boom you have to pay back all your ACA subsidies. So it it just kind of ensures a more stable system here and uh, you know in, ensures that everybody's basically sort of entitled to some kind of premium tax credit if they're purchasing health insurance on the exchange and it's at a progressive scale here that and it ends up actually making the premium tax credits uh, a much better deal in the healthcare uh, for people who are lower and middle income especially because they have even lower caps in fact uh, for people who make less than 150 percent of federal poverty limit it's zero percent uh, is the percentage of how much of your monthly income can go towards uh, health insurance premiums and of course uh, keep in mind that people who make up to 138 percent fpl they are covered under the Medicaid expansion, although there are some states that have not expanded Medicaid yet um, under the ACA. But this is an important thing that, that um, makes things a lot easier for people out there and, and certainly a lot less headache. So uh, we uh, also want to talk about here the uh, fact that the... Uh, Inflation Reduction Act allowed for money for a new direct file uh, program uh, for a study of it at least. Uh, so the Inflation Reduction Act allows for $15 million for the IRS to study uh, this idea of direct filing uh, to launch a pilot program, which is what, are the, what is which is what they're going to do in fact next year um, for the 2023 tax returns that will be filed in 2024. Um, and this is a very exciting thing because, you know, for a long time you've had pe uh, people try and file returns for free and often they can't do it. A very, very small percentage of taxpayers actually end up uh, able to file returns genuinely for free online. And you've had, the, you know, the Free File Alliance where the IRS has worked with these private companies, TurboTax, H&R Block, etc., you know, where you have uh, a... a a portal up on the IRS website where people end up filing returns through these companies, uh, but often they get charged money for it unbeknownst to, to them initially. They end up having to pay for uh, services, and they often don't have access to the actual free tax filing that sometimes could be offered for very simplified returns. And so there hasn't been a clear, easy-to-use public option tax filing system. Although I should say that getyourrefund.org uh, is a good uh, source for some simplified returns, which is a nonprofit that uh, has been in partnership with the IRS, with Code for America, that has helped people, that is sort of akin to something that we would want to see here of a free direct file public option program online for people. Uh, so uh, the IRS released a report in May. Uh, they found that people generally would be interested in doing something like this and so there will be a pilot program next year um, and uh, this is something that the big tax prep companies have lobbied against of course because they have benefited from the system as it is um, you know as as we've said 
in other countries, it is not as complicated as it is in the United States for people to file their tax returns. It does not have to be this way, the way that uh, we have had done it. Um, you know, often it leads people to uh, pay for services that should be free. A lot of people uh, don't uh, take advantage of volunteer income tax assistance programs or can't for whatever reason, including because their income is too high, even though they're still you know, our middle-class folks or the VITA programs are can often be overburdened, uh, although they did get more funding in the omnibus law. So that is something that will help people. But even so, uh, this would be a very important step forward uh, for people because it would make tax filing easier and, sim- and, and, and more simplified and accessible and would allow people to not have to jump through so many hoops to get certain important benefits that they rely on, like the earned income tax credit and child tax credit and other uh, refundable and non-refundable credits, like those that we just discussed in terms of ACA premium tax credits and energy efficiency tax credits from the Inflation Reduction Act. So it'll be curious to see uh, what happens here because I'll be curious to see how many people actually are eligible for this pilot program, how it operates, uh, what uh, uh, pitfalls, pratfalls it might have, how it may be similar or dissimilar to the non-filer tool that people use for stimulus payments and to getyourrefund.org, which is already a kind of simplified filing system, uh, and um, how much publicity there will be about it because people need to know about it in order to take advantage of it, of course. And so we'll see, uh, too, if the tax prep companies find success in lobbying against it. Uh, of course, you know, we know that they, as ProPublica has reported, often were making it uh, difficult to find the genuinely free services on their website. Um, and so you only had a, you know, 2 to 3% of taxpayers who actually were able to genuinely use truly free programs uh, through IRS free file. Um, so we'll see how this works, uh, and uh, I think there's still more to be said about it. Nina Olson of the Center for Taxpayer Rights has been doing a lot of good writing about it at proceduralytaxing.org and through her Center for Taxpayer Rights uh, organization. So we shall see, but that's another important part of this is you know the Inflation Reduction Act is aiming to try and make things Uh, more streamlined and and more consumer-friendly, more taxpayer-friendly for taxpayers out there. So we shall see uh, what happens there. But uh, if you have any questions about the Inflation Reduction Act and its uh, implications, we'll be doing a poolside chat about it soon through the ABA tax section, Pro Bono and Tax Clinics Committee. By the time you listen to this, it may have already happened. And uh, certainly... Uh, There will be a lot more scholarship about it, and and we'll continue to look at irs.gov for more information about it. Thank you so much for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. You can visit our website at taxjusticewarriors.com. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers or people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as legal advice. Consult with your tax professional if you seek specific advice. There are now three things that are certain in life, death, taxes, and your subscription to the Tax Justice Warriors podcast.